Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. What's up, everybody? It's the Helping Friendly Podcast. We're back. This is RJ. I'm with Matt and Jonathan. Hello. Ahoy. Hey. We are here. Happy New Year, everybody. We didn't say Happy New Year at the MSG episode until the very end, so I want to make sure we set it up front. So to you, Matt and Jonathan, and our listeners, Happy New Year. Happy, happy. When when do you stop saying Happy New Year? Is it I'm like a, Is there a cutoff? It's, it's behind me. <laughs> is it like January 10th or something or 4th? I, I, it's like Merry, Merry January now. I, I, Come on. I still have Christmas decorations out there, but I stopped saying Happy New Year. Because okay. is, is it really? Is it? Right. Well, actually, when this comes out, it'll be mid-January. So never mind. Um, <laughs> it's all debatable mind. anyways. <laughs> all right. So we're going we're gonna to go back to um, an amazingly monumental fish concert, which you may all have heard of 
it's I don't called, think anybody's heard of this one, RJ. Uh, I mean, you're gonna have to explain shit. it. You okay. should do a separate podcast explaining everything about this, and maybe then they'll be ready to hear what we have to say. Well, boy, do I have good news for you. <laughs> All right. In December of 1999, Fish built a city for 80,000 people in the Everglades. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna go into Big Cypress and we're gonna go into the music and um, we are going to have fun doing that. Before we do that, I just want to say. For people who are in New York or want to come to New York to hang out with us, we are going to be doing a really awesome live show on January 23rd as part of the Brooklyn Podcast Festival. Tom and I are going to be interviewing Rick and Peter from Goose at the Bell House in Brooklyn, and they're going to be playing acoustic songs, and we're going to be talking about Goose music and Fish music and all kinds of stuff. So if you're around New York or if you're planning to be around New York January 23rd, come hang out with us. We'll put a link in the show notes, and um, you can come heckle us live. You know, that's kind of a, I think that's a pretty good perk. I'll be so, there. I'll be there to heckle you. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you. That'll be great. It's always good to have a heckler. Um, did you guys, uh, you guys been listening to any good Osiris pods lately? Anyone check out Freak Flag Flying? Jonathan? I definitely listen to Freak Flag Flying, which is actually kind of hard to say really fast. Um, it is. It is. But I listened to it first thing this morning. It came out today and I jumped in my truck to drive to Richmond and listen to the whole thing. And it's rad. It's really good. I can't wait for more. Yeah, it's really good. I, I've heard it as well. Uh, excited for the rest of the parts. Um, the other thing that I'm excited about that I got to uh, have a little bit of a sneak preview of is a um, new show coming out uh, this month called 36 from the Vault. Um, I got to uh, hear the first episode of that, and that is really cool. If you haven't heard about that yet, it's um, our friends Stephen Hyden and Rob Mitchum, uh, both uh, music writers, uh, friends of our show who have been on multiple times each, um, and friends. Ends, and uh, they are talking their way through the entire Dick's Picks series of Grateful Dead releases. Um, really cool. Those guys have a great rapport and both um, really just great musical thoughts. Uh, and so that's a, a fun listen. Um, it's a very kind of casual sort of, you know, just dudes sitting around talking Grateful Dead. And um, if you're listening to this show, you might like the idea of people just sitting around talking about something they listen to, such as uh, a concert from 20 years ago. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And this actually, that um, 36 from the Vault, I believe, premieres the day that this episode will come out or, or the day after. So uh, we'll put a link in the show notes, but definitely check it out. I mean, just listening to Steve and, and Rob talk about any music really is, is, is pretty cool. But when it's dead releases that you're really familiar with, I think it's, it's going to be great. So I'm excited for that one, too. Okay, so guys, let's talk about Big Cypress. Jonathan, you were there. I was there, which is amazing. And you were there with a we were there with a baby. Well, she wasn't a baby. She could run, which is kind of worse. Okay, she's <laughs> three years old. Um, like a baby, I mean, you just put them down and they stay there. This one, she was, you know, yeah, you had to like. Good point. Chase. That also means that she had the capability of running away from an alligator too, which is kind of an essential skill uh, if you were at Big Cypress. Only if you didn't go to the right of Snake Road while you were in traffic going in in the middle of the night. <laughs> like if you if you peed to the left, actually you didn't want to go over there either. Really, just you should <laughs> stay in your car. So that's the thing that astounds me the most is that in the, the of the whole thing, like there was a concert that was cool, but in the middle of the night on the way in, in the traffic, people were running off the road, on off Snake Road to pee in the dark. And in the morning, 
after the the set on January 1st, we're driving out and looking to the right and to the left, and there's alligators down there. <laughs> There's right down, and this is outside the concert area. This is on the by the road. People were peeing, and nobody got their junk bit off, which is astounding. To me. <laughs> well, not that we know of, because I mean, we did hear multiple like bits of speculation that the, possibly there was like a wook eaten, or you know, somebody that just like never made it back. Uh, yeah, but nobody who'd be missed, so it's fine. <laughs> One of my, I mean, there's so many amazing stories, and and we obviously the inspiration for doing this was because we just finished After Midnight, which I assume every single person listening to this podcast listened to all five episodes of After Midnight. But so many great stories, and a few of them that ended with at least one that ended with I, I assume that guy is still there yeah. and never been found, right? <laughs> so. Um, Snake Road and Alligator Alley. It was like it's like dangerous, dangerous times down there. Yeah, man. But it was nuts. It was nuts. But okay, so Jonathan survived. Matt and I were not there. So I wanted to ask you, Matt, what listening back to this, we're gonna go through the songs, obviously. Did anything change for you like since the last time you listened to Big Cypress? Now that you've spent the last three months doing amazing editing work inside. You were in you were inside of After Midnight for yeah. for months. Yeah. Uh, you know, I it, not much in that, like, I mean, the 50,000 foot view is that it's, you know, probably the best thing they've ever done and ever will do. And um, super special music and, and a un- very unique uh, set of music with the, the midnight set. Um, I, you know, I, the one thing I would say that's different is that like, I hadn't listened to big Cypress like exhaustively in the past. Like it's such a, like up on the shelf kind of thing that I, I would listen to certain jams sometimes and maybe get in the mood to dig in and, and listen to a couple hours of it, of it or something like that. Um, but I hadn't spent so much time listening and re-listening to all of the music and in particular getting into like very minute sections of um, things as I was trying to identify like potential music to to kind of put into the After Midnight episodes. So overall, I don't think it's changed. I just have a much, if it's even possible, I have a much greater appreciation for how amazing it all is and the fact that like particularly with the midnight set, like you literally could like pick a random second of that, like seven hours and 13 minutes or whatever, and just start playing it from there. And it's going to be amazing. I mean, that's just, it, it's really enforced, reinforced that for, uh, for me. Jonathan, how much do you go back to big Cypress? Is it like a once a year thing or no? Not even it's, it's almost too sacred and too great an investment of time to, to listen to it. It's not like, Venita, which I go to several times a, a year, it's, it's it's a good analogy. It well, it is because I mean it's the greatest thing. It's also like you know a significant outdoor event and unique in many respects. Uh, Both had naked dudes, which is naked people you know? everywhere. <laughs> um, it was not as hot at Big Cypress though, yeah. um, and there was water. Um, also, more alligators, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't go to it very often. I used to listen to it a lot more, um, you know, in the earlier part of the century. But, you know, there was that time where we didn't have any fish at all. So going back and revisiting fish was part of the the practice, you know. Uh, But now there's, like, constantly new stuff. And, you know, you guys always want to make a podcast about something. So I'm not... I'm not dipping back into it as frequently as I as I used to. We're but, always wanting to do podcasts about stuff. Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird. It's a weird scene. Um, okay, well, 
that's cool. And I, I, I haven't really gone. I mean, this is probably the first time I've ever gone through both shows in full. In, wow. During during the after midnight, maybe maybe I did it because I had like I got sixteen CDs in the year, early in the year two thousand. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just like like you said, it's a huge investment. So we, um, I'm sure that everyone who's listening has listened to at least some, or if not all, of Big Cypress. But Matt has done us the favor of condensing this into. 10 jams and and there's a disclaimer which is there's a million musical moments as matt just said you could really choose anything so if you like what we chose then you can tell all of us how great our choices were and if you don't then you can blame matt seems fair (laughs) so matt matt how did you how did you um how did you like put these together before we jump in did you have a method or was it like yeah what was the method i think as i looked start to finish uh, you know, across the the set. So first off, we're gonna we're gonna visit these musical moments sequentially. So there's not really a ranking at play here. It's more just like as you look through Big Cypress, start to finish, what are sort of the ten musical peaks? And um, you know, as I looked across, just having listened to all this stuff so much, there's obvious things that are like high points. And as I looked across, I think my list was like. 13 or 14 immediately. Um, and it was just a matter of kind of taking a, a couple of those and um, deciding which was a little bit better. And we actually have a couple of honor- honorable mentions that we'll throw in here. Uh, in one case, I think there's a jam that you could swap out for something else and, and you'd be fine. And then in the other case, Jonathan pointed out a, a really great kind of personal uh, memory of the, of the set. Um, that Don't was, build it up too much. It's, I think it's going to be amazing. I, you told, you told me it was the peak experience of your entire life so we're gonna have to hear it in great detail (laughs) (laughs) all right get get ready um all right well let's let's jump in and we're starting with the 30th which which was also a concert it was at big cypress too yeah which is amazing now that like i feel like i go back to to some of these jams but matt tell us tell us where we started here so we start off with the second song that was played, which is uh, a cover of Traffic's Light Up or Leave Me Alone. And this is significant for a couple of reasons. Um, one, it was a big, big, big time bust out. Hadn't been played in about 11 years at that point. Um, it was a song that used to play in the 80s. And then secondly, uh, the nod to Traffic, the great traffic jam that everybody had kind of battled through to get into the festival. Um, th- and this came right after the... Uh, the nod to the Everglades in the set opening water in the sky. Um, and so it's easy to look at this song for that reason alone, just kind of the significance of playing the song as a, as a musical highlight. Um, but then we get into actually the first jam of big Cypress and, um, it's, it's pretty awesome. Uh, it's not exactly like what we were going to hear when we get to the midnight set, but the 30th, I think has its own sort of flavor of jamming that, um, that was pretty good. Jonathan, um, since you were there, maybe you can tell us about kind of recollection about the excitement of, of this whole thing getting started off. Well, I mean, the bust out of this song was huge for me. I, I assume other people felt the same way at the same at the time. Um, Water in the Sky, of course, had been great. We were ecstatic to finally be in the venue and getting music after all that nonsense was behind us of getting into the whole thing. And yeah, then they dropped this 10 plus year bust out, uh, which, I mean, it's one of those songs that you, you look in your old fishing companion or whatever it is we had back then the farmer's almanac and you know you never thought you'd ever see fish play Um, and then there it was 
Um, and then two songs later, they did another one, which uh, was, you know, like a four... Sh- the, the gap is like four shows difference, another thousand plus shows for Karina. And I, I had to bring that up because I got to see that again 20 years later, uh, just the other night. So that was pretty rad. But yeah, um, the, and the add on to this is that they actually jam the song. They didn't just knock it out. So yeah, it's terrific. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to December 99, and Matt mentioned uh, the December 99 episode we did with Wade, like you can just, this jam right from the beginning just has that sound. I, I think Dave Calarco, Mr. Minor, did he coin that term, the millennial sound? Or at least he started using it when he was doing the Japan, um, you know, reviews and, and all the reviews. I mean, he was doing reviews like, you know, way back in the day when we were still just going to concerts but um that millennial sound idea he you can just hear it like now in my mind that's exactly this the type one jam right but you can just hear and i mean we'll talk more about what that is but that sound is just so recognizable and you could hear it all through summer and and fall 99 mostly the looping and the and the spaciness but also just i don't know the trey's tone was also just very different um in the latter part of the year with matt which matt maybe we'll talk about in in later later songs but it's it's like very recognizable to me 
and the Jabu like teases in here. That's like the ultimate '99 sound, <laughs> right. right? It's just yeah. like the looping space is just I don't know. It's amazing because yeah, like you said, Matt, two songs in, and we're already like we're already seriously jamming. Um, pretty awesome. Yeah. So for um, one of the things that I wanted to mention as we talk about this, uh, for After Midnight, one of the voices that we included in the show uh, was Jacob Cohen, uh, who many Fish fans know. He's a musicologist. And so we asked him to sort of break down um, the the key elements of the playing at Big Cypress. I mean, one of the questions being like, is there a Big Cypress sound? Is there a sound that's specific to just this event? And he, um, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of like include some things that he said throughout our discussion. And one thing that he pointed out to me was that Big Cypress is, while it is very, very unique, if you look, take a step back, it is also kind of the stepping stone from December 99 to the Japan 2000 sound. Like, yep. it's not like either of those, but it's a very good stepping stone in terms of like the repetitive grooves and then eventually moving in like a spacier direction. Um, and while you don't see a, enough of that or a whole lot of that on this first jam you do RJ I think see some of the things you mentioned like the jabu like grooves with Mike actually holding down a groove for a little little while instead of just trying to advance uh the uh you know advance the sound in the in the jam yeah and so speaking of Mike advancing jams actually that wasn't a very good segue but the next jam that we want to talk about was so that was a long first set um 12 songs or something and they they went through, I mean, three sets, two nights, well, three sets the first night, and then I guess two sets the second night, if you count that as one set, which I guess you have to. because You have to. Because yep. they, they said. Um, it's just an amazing amount of music. So there's a good, beautiful tweezer in, in set two of, of 1230, but we're jumping to set three, which is the mics. And this jam, I just, my only notes are, why are they trying to kill us? Because it's like, it's such a terrifying, it's just wild. It's shit's wild. Matt, what's going on in that? What's going on in that jam? Well, um, so they, they start off, it's a very mellow version of, uh, of Mike's song, like really laid back, kind of the way that in 99, um, they would play like tweezers, like really slow and groovy. Um, the Mike song is kind of like that. And then... A couple minutes into the jam, Trey plays a, a, a tease of the immigrant song, and it starts to sort of ramp things up. From that point, things get really weird. But Jonathan, because you were there, I think you should tell us about what happened at that point in the jam. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure Corota dumped every gallon of fog, smoke machine fog, that was available in the continental U.S., into the smoke machines and the the smoke reached out like miles not miles it's, it's a little extreme but it just it farther than i've ever seen from a fish stage it just came way out over the audience and towered up into the sky it was just the most massive smoke effect i've ever seen bigger than any any steam you 30 kits have seen telling you right now it was, it was nothing like that um it was the kind of crazy mike song that they were doing in 94 really uh, it was a kind of a throwback to those and uh, i gotta say that during after the second set i had walked amy and althea my daughter back to our tent and tucked 
you know, Amy was going to put Althea to bed and stay with her. And I came running back in for set three. So I was by myself. I had no idea where any of my friends were inside this concert. And so I was just completely by myself. Um, and when they dropped into mics, I was ecstatic. It had been five years since I had seen I Am Hydrogen, uh, which is why I secretly, not that secretly, hate Simple, even though I don't <laughs> really hate Simple, but I hate Simple. Uh, and then they just explode this mic song with this dark, dark, heavy jam. Uh, Matt's got some notes on the details of the music, but it was just uh, it was it was heavy and dark and scary. And then they drop into simple. I'm 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 chanting in my head in the last minutes of Mike, please please play hydrogen, please play hydrogen. And they freaking played simple, and I was crestfallen. I just stood there slumped. <laughs> And then they jammed simple a little bit, and that was nice, and it got pretty, and then all of a sudden, I am hydrogen. And I you I'd swear you can hear me on some of the odds. I scream so loud when Mike starts playing the the little bass line for I am hydrogen. I and I was jumping up and down. I'm like I I'm sure I scared the people who were next to me. Sorry. Uh, but it was awesome and worth it. It's it's uh, it's funny because you hear that story from everybody that was there. People you say Mike's song and everybody goes fog, um, but the uh, and and the the hydrogen was was a hydrogen a bust out at that point. I'm trying to remember. No, but it, it was for not you, for you common. It was but I hadn't seen it in five years. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. they were playing it just not frequently. Not, not anymore. when you were there. Wow. And not when I was there. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, you you can hear it in the actual playing when the steam pours out. It all of a sudden becomes this kind of noise jam. And Trey, this was definitely in the uh, My Bloody Valentine influenced uh, years. He just has yeah. this screaming noise. It just sounds like his guitar is going like um, really, really awesome for a while. And then about... 11 and a half minutes into the jam, Fishman double times the beat, and it sounds kind of like the, the New Haven tweezer that gets like really fast and dark and evil. Um, and at that point, Trey kind of leans back onto his keyboard loops and, and stuff that he was doing at that point. Um, and then it kind of eases its way into simple. But this is, it's a scary, scary part of, definitely the scariest part of Big Cypress, I think. Um, and, you know, once again, not like you were going to see the next night in the midnight set, um, but just screaming ferocious 1999 fish 
So, um, Jonathan, I'm, I'm really glad that you got to see hydrogen for the first time in what five years. And, um, it's pretty rare that, that, that hydrogen comes out of something besides Mike. It happened, um, out of chalk dust in 2011 at MSG. And I think it's only happened three times since, you know, 99, um, that, that they play hydrogen out of another song that's not Mike's, which is kind of awesome. So you, you saw like a couple, a couple unique things right there in that moment. And I like that you ran back, ran back to the concert. I mean, it's, it's, like a you mile probably from our campsite, but there was <laughs> like it's I amazing. Had to get back into the show. Um, so yeah, really, it was, that's a good. That's a long run. It it was worth it. It was <laughs> worth it by God. But you mentioned uh, hydrogen coming out of things, but that, when I started seeing them, that was practically the norm. Mm-hmm. You know, they were mixing it up. Simple was new, and they they kept doing that. So even my first. Mike's song was like Mike's simple Mike's hydrogen. So it, there was never a normalcy. I never got to start with the uh, the total Mike's, yeah, as they say. But oh well, oh well. Let's move on, shall we? Um, maybe. Um, okay, so <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna. So that's sort of uh, the Mike's was at the at the end of the third set. Um, so we're gonna jump to the beginning of. The next night, which is a two-set show. The second set is fairly well-known. Um, it was, I think People Jesse said it was it. seven hours, 14 minutes, and 17 seconds or something like that, Matt? Some, something like that, yeah. <laughs> something like that. So, uh, Matt, why, why the uh, split open and melt as the first kind of highlight of, uh, of this show? This is probably the first example of the the big cypress midnight sound and when i talked to to jay Cohn about this the way that he put it which i thought was really good was that um this was almost like a test for the midnight set if they had a specific jamming approach this is where they sort of put it into play for the first time and what that is is that it's this you know if you if you take away one of the only restrictions that you have at a fish show, I mean, they're already playing so free to the point where they don't, they don't even know what songs are going to play when they come out on stage. One of these only, one of the only restrictions that they have is time because at a certain point they have to finish. Um, they've got venue curfew and, and just, you know, logistical reasons to have to stop playing at some point. But if you remove that restriction, um, the, the music suddenly takes on a new, um, tone because they can in theory just keep playing the same thing over and over again for hours and it doesn't matter um and and as we'll hear throughout these jams as we get into talking about the playing throughout the the whole show on the 31st um that's a key component that these as they step back and just let things happen these beautiful moments open up and and one of them is in this split open and melt when they sort of lay back um, after about 11 minutes in, they get to this like seven below kind of groove. And then it just keeps getting more sparse and, and sparser and sparser and sparser until they get to this groove where it's like Mike and Fishman are actually like dropping a beat together. Um, doing like harmonies of, of between Trey and Mike of the, the bass part. And that leads hilariously, at, but also in a beautiful way, into them singing Catapult 
Um, and it's really actually probably one of my top three or four musical moments in the entire festival. But it was that first example that we saw of kind of the approach that they were going to take uh, in that set. I feel like the this show like this jam was just it felt like the tempo was just like so fast like the whole I mean until that part where you were describing Matt when 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 they start to change it but like the first 10 minutes are like really fucking fast but that's kind of the thing is that like there is playing that's really fast and particularly from Fishman he plays very very fast hard kind mm-hmm. of grooves but Typically, when you'd have that happen, it would it would kind of escalate everything with the band. He starts playing faster. Trey starts playing louder and starts playing more notes. Mike gets more aggressive. And instead, what happens is that he's fast and he's very aggressive and grooving. And the band just starts dropping out more and more and more until you have this thing that has like it propels itself forward, but without being too kind of busy or anything like that. And it's, mm-hmm. it's really beautiful. It's crazy, and and Jonathan, your notes you said it was still daylight, yeah, which is which is like not what I would imagine at this point. I don't know why. It's just all this 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 whole show just happens in the dark in my mind. 
but it makes sense that it would. That Some it would. don't shine on Florida. Oh wait, yes it does. Uh, so okay, so Matt, the second second song from the first uh, or from the second night here is After Midnight, which was the debut, of course, and um, last played Charleston, two thousand nineteen, which was I I thought that was pretty cool. Did you guys? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. all right so this this version matt this is not the this is not the jam the jam i mean there's there's a jam but there's there's a bigger jam coming later but do you think this was just sort of a good moment to to note i i think it's just yeah it's a straightforward version but i think it belongs on this list if for no other reason than it's maybe the greatest placement of a song in a rock and roll concert set list, like of all time. I mean, it's just the most brilliant placement. Um, and I imagine Jonathan that this, I mean, from what I can tell oh. from the audience tapes and stuff, people have, have to have been going absolutely apeshit over it. Right. Cause we knew it was coming and here they are, they're just singing about what's ahead and you know, fish, that's not a thing they often do, you know, they'll tell you, or they may talk about something from the stage, but here they're just like, they're singing a song that perfectly describes what's what's ahead of us. It's almost yeah. as if they said, hey, we're going to bring clones out on stage, and then there's clones on stage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, that, makes like more, that. that makes more sense. This whole After Midnight <laughs> thing. I never, I never understood why you wanted to name the podcast that, Matt. Um, all right, so, so we get into the, the Midnight set um, before Midnight. See, that's what's so fucked up about it. Um, so only just. Of, only just. So this down with disease that comes out of Auld Lang Syne, first of all, the fireworks are just like outrageously loud. And and we heard in the podcast that, you know, especially Dave Worland and John Belusco were huge, huge <laughs> fans of fireworks, which well, is a great, just little aside. Let, but me, let me back amazing. you up before yes. you get into the song, Please. RJ, because you mentioned the loud fireworks. So at about 1145, we're, we're kind of far back because we had a small child with us and, uh, again, never found our friends out on the concert field, although I knew uh, Cody was taping, but I wasn't even going to try to go near that. Um, so we just had our, a little blanket and we had, you know, a bottle of champagne with us and we had a ton of glow sticks and Althea, three years old, fell asleep at 1145. And we just circled her with glow sticks and spent the next many, many hours blocking, keeping people from stepping on the blanket. Um, she's, I mean, she conked right out before they came out on the hot dog, uh, you know, and the whole thing before the big loud fireworks and during all the big loud fireworks and the fish concert slept. Wow. It was crazy. Amazing. Crazy. So wait, so was, was that like that all night? Yeah. Was that the situation until the, until the morning or did, was there like a 4am interruption of some kind or something? 
No, there was this point where Amy was like, I'm going back to the tent, but we'll get to that. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. This is this is the podcast recap of Jonathan's adventure to Big Cypress. So <laughs> I think it's during... <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna note that later. Okay, so this shit's crazy. This is like this is this jam is just like very it's very celebratory and it it just it's really nice groove. I thought it was really fun and I, I like going back to this. This is one of the many jams from the set that I go back to just because it's so fun. It's 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 just such a celebratory vibe. I love it. Yeah, I mean I don't think there's any other song that could have gone in this place. Um, you know, down with disease right after midnight to start off this epic journey. Um, there's there's really just no no other way to, to kick it off than with a seriously raging uh, down with disease jam. The the cool thing about this is that it's one of the it's kind of very kind of raging down with disease jam, really with ex, kind of some extra mustard on it. Uh, it's a it's a great version, but. By about 12 minutes into the song, they start to get into that laid back thing that I was describing before, where they're yeah. just willing to let things develop in front of them. Um, they've got all the time in the world. They can play whatever they want. Uh, they've got their audience in front of them. Nobody's going to make them do anything. And so they get into this laid back thing um, very, very quickly. And then they, the next thing you hear, which is another kind of element that's very indicative of the Big Cypress midnight sound, um, which is that around 13 minutes in, you hear Trey start to just kind of play this melody out of nowhere. That was one of the things that Jake pointed out to me as a musicologist that he heard a lot is um, all four band members, um, I guess really the three playing, you know, melodic instruments coming up with these short melodies on the fly that they would just repeat over and over again and kind of inspire the rest of the band to build a groove around it. You hear this here and you'll hear this a lot in a lot of the very key uh, moments throughout the midnight set. Um, so I think this is a really uh, great way to, to kick off the whole thing. Do you think um, I feel like they at this point in the in the show because it's just obviously it's only what a couple hours into this show are they like what, what do you think the mindset is of the band at this point do you think they're just having a blast and not worrying about it or do you think they're trying to figure out how they're gonna 
pace themselves because that's one thing we didn't really get input from Treyer Fishman on was like how they approached the actual playing of a set. Like, do you think they just approached it like a regular show, or do you think they were trying to like pace themselves in any way? Well, they're not even a couple hours at this point. I mean, right. we're basically this that's is what the I'm first saying. Song. But you could you could like yeah. easily crash and burn, which it seemed like a couple of people were like worried that like is this De- actually going to work? Yeah, definitely a lot of fans crashed and burned, but they uh, yeah, I think Matt described it perfectly they they come out of the the midnight gate raging for a dozen minutes and then they uh they they start to breathe and they let the music do it too yeah yeah i don't know if they ever specifically talked about the approach um and if they did either both trey and fishman forget about that which wouldn't surprise me um or they just they don't want to let the cat out of the bag or something like that. But my feeling is probably that, the former. I mean, I th- I think most likely yeah. that, but I actually, I don't know. I mean, how much that they really would have planned this. Cause I don't know how much you can really talk about like, you know, this is what it's going to feel like to be free of time. Right. I mean, I think it's just kind of something that naturally developed based on their style of playing their approach, um, in general to jamming, uh, and then removing that restriction. And then keep in mind also that they did have going way back some degree of experience of this, uh, with the Okipa ceremonies. So maybe they were tapping into something from long before. Right. Plus planning wasn't really, what they were doing on stage anyways. So it was, uh, you know, they were not analyzing at that point as a band. That was one of the rules. And so, uh, I, th- I would think that, uh, mapping things out in the, you know, in advance would be counter to that notion as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember just Paluska saying, you know, much later on at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. where he was like, we're, we're actually going to make it. We're going to do it, which which meant to me that like he was <laughs> before that probably like, is this actually going to work? Um, right. You know, so I mean, it's kind of crazy. I, I assume that if they decided they couldn't go on, they would have stopped at some point. And I guess, you know, Paluska certainly had to account for that possibility. Yeah, true. Um, so... But he, they didn't. <laughs> one of my favorite parts of the whole series after midnight was when he said, in the context of that, he said like Trey was very bullish on the idea, and I, lo- I learned a long time ago, just like when Trey says, "Trust me, it's going to work," just to trust him, which is <laughs> yeah. which is just such an awesome, I feel like under underrated quote in that in that whole thing. Just beautiful, kind of yeah. captures everything. Matt, I know you don't you don't like this rock and roll very much. You don't have much to say about it, I hate it, and you don't you don't think it's very good. This um, this is man, it's so crazy how many intensely long and amazing jams there are in this set. It's just like it's so overwhelming. But I, I like this. This was fun to do because we were you were able to like just break it down into its a few parts, you know. And this this alone, this piece was I think hard to break down. Yeah, I mean, this is um. The, the rock and roll is the one jam from the midnight set that I have listened to pretty regularly uh, for a while now. This is actually on my playlist of workout jams. Um, I'll get on the elliptical to this one and it's just like the perfect amount of time for like a 30 minute kind of cardio session. Um, and it also, 
even though, as we'll hear, like it, there's some spaciness and stuff like that, it it does have this amazing forward uh, momentum the whole time that that can kind of propel you. But um, before I get into into my kind of you know many thoughts about this, Jonathan, where does this kind of uh, rank for you in terms of Big Cypress playing? I I just love the uh, the ambient pieces of this that you know comes after. You know, they they were minutes earlier. They're playing the most frantic music. This is it's kind of like the disease. You know, they're 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 very intense, and then, but here they go further into the breathing. And you know, Mike plays this kind of sparse, repetitive groove with Fishman riding along, and then we're just we're just poop, untethered into space. Um, and it felt like that in the show. You know, that they would just rise to you know, song would start. They would. You know, we'd all have this energy to focus on, and they'd rip through the song, and they'd launch, and suddenly, shit got weird and spacey again. And uh, (laughs) this is, uh, you know, one of the biggest, best of those kinds of things. Um, And yeah, I'm in love with it. It is, it, it feels very apparent, this like, just like the longest appearance of this ambient stuff so far. You know, much more of it comes later, but it feels like there's like you were saying, Matt, about letting it sort of breathe. There were like the the portions of letting it breathe started getting longer and longer. So in here, you have this like minutes and minutes of just sort of like quiet, but but like purposeful quiet. I don't know. It's really it's cool, but there's so much else going on. I mean, that's one one part of I don't know five or six different parts. Yeah, I mean, you, I think you you're right when you say it's the first time that the space starts to become a little bit exaggerated almost. Um, so you start off with uh, the, you know, great composed section. Um, this, it's, you know, fun song, uh, but then we have the sort of the, the first initial jam, which is kind of the type one jam coming out of the composition. There's a really cool moment in here um, that I, I think is a good demonstration of something that Trey does. And if you're not, um, if you don't play an instrument or don't haven't like you know studied music or anything like that, this is something that a lot of people could hear, and it's a signal that you hear Trey do sometimes to the band that I interpret as okay, let's go, like we're breaking free of the song now. That's over. And what he does is he hits the root note um, of the uh, of of the the key of the song, and he just holds it for several measures after playing the, the the rock and roll riff and from that point forward they don't modulate the chord back and forth they sort of stay on the same um, same root note and that kicks off this approximately five minutes of maybe my favorite Trey guitar playing ever.
just absolutely insane how fast he's playing but it's like tasteful it's melodic he's coming up with little licks that like i don't think i've ever heard him play in any other jam um and this is you know jonathan to your point kind of like that down with disease thing where you have this like insanely raging peak you don't think the band could possibly be playing any faster or any more ferocious and then all of a sudden they get into this section second section where Fish creates a groove with his wood blocks, and the whole band kind of gathers around that. And then Trey creates a B section where he starts like half timing and playing the you know this, these chords um, uh, for like two measures. And then they go back into the A section with the wood block, and they do that for almost ten minutes, right? They just kind of stay in this groovy, dancey space with the wood block and everything. it gets into the ambience that you're talking about RJ where they go to almost nothing it's like Fish's kick drum Mike's bass which he's not even really playing notes it's he's almost just sort of like thumping the strings um Trey's doing a little bit of kind of like extremely high pitch shifted uh noodling but really then for the last like 13 or 14 minutes of the jam it's just this build up from nothing to once again intense noise jam in the style of like a my bloody valentine or something like that where trey just is like grinding away at his guitar creating these screaming noises um and so you have this long you know about 35 minutes of playing multiple distinct sections each of them kind of just you know demonstrating something uh unique about you know the, the playing during this long set um this is i go back and forth this is my first contender for uh for the best jam of the show i'll tell you what my other one is a little bit later jonathan anything to add i i think he's covered it i would just i would say i would cite the points of uh 14 minutes is when they're still in the frenetic raging and the 17 minutes is if you want to just bounce in and out in your recording you can go from those one of those to the other and hear the difference the sudden like the stark difference between the the rage and the ambience so so now is when we get into the serious controversy of the podcast which is is there are there any important jams that we missed that we need to talk about right now? Probably <laughs> all of them. <laughs> we did. We did all the rest. <laughs> we did. Uh, I, yeah. So there were, you know, thirty. There were thirty-seven songs in the second set. So you know, there, there's a lot to go through here. But I think we wanted to just make a quick mention of the cross-eyed, which um, is really pretty pretty great. Honorable mention. Is that enough honorable mention, or do you want to give it more honor, Jonathan or Matt? That cross-eyed is pretty great. Um, 
Yeah, and you know, it was a bust out. It's funny, we take Cross-Eyed for granted now, but they hadn't played it for uh, over two years at that point, um, which I, I think was important. I don't even know if we realized it was important then, but it certainly mm. was amazing to listen to. Matt, do you have any? Yeah, this is one that um, I, I think some people would want to see on this list. And if you are a particularly big fan of this jam, I would have no problem replacing down with disease with cross-eyed and painless. I think it was just as we, uh, I kind of posed the question to the group and I think as we all talked about it, it seemed like the disease was a little bit more up our alley. Um, But the cross-eyed and painless is really good. I think it's, it has the whole kind of space and patience thing down. Um, It just is not for me quite as interesting as the other jams that we included here, but you're also, I mean, you're splitting hairs because we're talking about, you know, 10 moments out of like the, you know, the greatest, like 10 hours of fish or whatever it is ever. Um, you know, of course you're, you you know, the line is very ambiguous here and you could certainly make a case for cross-eyed and painless being, being on the list. Yes, I could. But I won't. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going into we're going into sand now. Sand is like sand is is the big cypress sound, right, Matt? Is yeah. is it the big cypress sound? I, I think so. This is one that like multiple people uh, who were interviewed for After Midnight's pointed to as their kind of like best example of what the music was like. John Paluska brought it up. Uh, Jake Cohen brought it up in our in our talk. And um, we included him talking about that. And multiple other people. And what everybody kind of pointed out, Brad Sands was another one. Um, yep. he, when we first asked him, uh, at the very start of the conversation, one of the first things he said was like, I popped in the, the CD because I hadn't listened to this in a really long time. And I forgot that like... At, the beginning of sand after they stopped the lyrics trade like doesn't play the guitar for like five minutes and mike it's a play, really long time mike literally plays the same bass line for over 20 minutes and like when has mike gordon ever played the same thing for over 20 minutes and then when he changes it he modifies it by like one note to make it a different chord it's like it's really crazy. I mean, and Trey does all trayness, noise, and craziness over the top. But this is probably the one place where it's the band was just like, let's just keep going. The groove's working. People are feeling it. Just let it hang out, man. Yeah, when Sand was new, you know, of course, it debuted in Trey Band. When Sand was new, a lot of us were like, well, Mike's never going to play that because there's, n- it's just a straight groove. Mike doesn't really do that like that. Uh, he proved us wrong. But I, I would say this is like the peak of the the thing that Trey laid the groundwork for at the beginning of the year on that solo tour. Uh, everything with the uh, the samples of the keyboard, the 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 doom die voice, every every sound he had, he had worked on and been doing with sand uh, from the beginning of the year, it it peaked and was maximized and perfectly actualized here in this version. Um, and while I wouldn't say they should never have played it again, I would have understood if they had retired it after this one.
Man, you know who loves playing bass lines for 20 minutes without changing? Tony. Tony. He does. Like, uh, he can do it. Um, we, we should mention the, the quadraphonic top laying. I think it's like a little overrated because I, I feel like it's one of those no. things that is like... It's a it's a rite of passage, or it's it's like a sign of how heady you are. You know, do you know about quadraphonic toppling? You know, it's like when you're in like a weird conversation with a fish fan, and someone brings that up, and you're like, "Come on, dude!" But um, it but it is really good, and there's some really beautiful stuff that happens in that in that jam. So even though I think it's like a little bit overrated, because I think it's like some sort of mark of pride to know what it is, um, it's pretty cool. There's some beautiful stuff that happened, and then Jonathan they. After that, play Slave to the Traffic Light, which is also kind of beautiful sometimes. Uh, super, very beautiful. So, yeah, that quadraphonic uh, gets way mellow and into Slave, which is also a bit of a chill down for the, the tired folks. Um, and this, I, I'm fairly certain this is where people really started to fall out. Um, and it was during Albuquerque that, you know, you could get like this sudden breath of like sanity. It was the most rational bit of music for a while <laughs> at that point. And uh, even with the cheesecake lyric, um, you know, the song describes an escape from the madness of the every quote, everyday world of rock band touring, which is not really an everyday world, but it is in the context of the narrator. And, and it just, uh, it's a grounding moment. And, this is the moment when uh, uh, walked to the back with my wife and daughter, uh, and it was just bodies snuggled in little lumps all over the back half of the field, and then just you know spaced out people moving to and fro, heading to the Porta Johns or whatever. Um, it was uh, it was a pretty beautiful moment, frankly. Uh, just a nice breather that was just wonderful. It's, so it, I, I can't escape that. I can I remember that almost first when I think about that night. One of the things, wow. kind of going back to um, maybe changes of of you know my opinion or the the way that I look at Big Cypress, it's easy to forget um, because especially in this era of streaming and being able to just pull up any of these jams and dive into it. That like while there's a lot of space in the jams, there was also a lot of space in the pacing of the set too. Like they took some breaks. Um, I think some of them like logistical. Like at the end of Quadraphonic Toppling, um, Trey actually like went off stage and and used the the porta potty. And um, there's there's a um, couple of breaks like that. There's one that I totally forgot about where they play uh, um, Bittersweet Motel. And afterwards, Trey says, oh, that's for the people from Pennsylvania. And then literally for like four or five minutes is like, hey, anybody here from Michigan? Anybody here from Oregon? Yeah. And like, <laughs> I don't know if like, I, I, I don't know if maybe one of the other members of the band was like off stage at that point and he was just killing time. Um, and John Paluska talked about that, about how they figured that with the porta potty on stage, there would be some points where like somebody would leave the stage and the hope, at least his hope was that the remaining guys on stage would find a way to fill the gap, like come up with something really cool. And what happens uh, at this point is Trey and Fishman leave the stage and go in the porta potty, which was, I guess, technically on the stage. They just yeah, go. I was going to say they just go into the porta potty um, for a very extended 
period of time. And um, the the story has been shared a couple of different places that like, uh, you know, they were in there. And after a while, Brad Sands, um, he told us this story that he was sort of dispatched to go knock on the porta potty door and like remind Trey and Fishman that they were on stage <laughs> at a concert and they should probably come out. Um, <laughs> during that, you hear this kind of like noodling between Mike and Paige and they, when Trey and Fishman come out, they start what is the other contender, in my opinion, for the the greatest portion of music. And in my mind, I think if I if I think about things that have changed, this is the other big thing, which is that, like I may be willing to dethrone the rock and roll jam for the drowned into after midnight reprise, uh, which I have come to bow down to and respect greatly. Uh, is this is this a, a favorite for you guys too? You know, I always forget how short "Drowned" is when I yeah. when I look at the set list, or you know, and I'm pulling out the CDs or queuing it up somewhere, and or like when I put it on relisten or whatever, and I see that "Drowned" is uh, is only like five minutes. I'm like, what? No, "Drowned" is a 20 minute jam song that opens set two of things, but uh, here it's not. Um, so when I <laughs> happened again when I saw it in this document or when in your list when I was like drowned, but, but it, it, it's right. It belongs paired with the after midnight reprise because the after midnight reprise is that drowned jam. It's just modulated right back into after midnight and it midnight and it freaking rips, um, for a big chunk of it. Like how, well, you know, it, it, it's astounding that they're, that they're putting out that hard, um, and let's see, I'm, I, I'm, I'm talking about this. I'm not even looking at my, my notes, but, <laughs> um, you know, we talked about, um, rock and roll or something as being the, uh, you know, the, the exemplar of this sound, I think, uh, of this show. And I think this is a good example as well of just about everything they do here. Yeah. It's not something that I go back to a lot and I appreciate you highlighting it matt because i don't i feel like it gets lost for me in the shuffle of all the different amazing jams you know I, I, i'm much more likely to go back to down with disease and rock and roll and the roses and um you know sand so plus, plus we know that rj doesn't understand why they even played this song <laughs> then, they, <laughs> then they had to play it again it's like come on guys i mean I, i'll tell <laughs> you a that bad joke really like uh you you referenced it earlier i mean if anything this return to after midnight i think is why our documentary was called after midnight uh at least in, in my mind um, you you put on this jam and it's the whole sequence starts off with drowned at about 4:35 in the morning. So they're over the hump. They're they should be kind of marching towards daylight uh, at least a little bit at this point. Um, but this is a very very long time into this you know uh, seven and an hour and thirteen minute set or whatever. I mean they've been on stage for almost five <laughs> hours at this point. It's so ridiculous. It's it's insane. It's insane. Hence. Um, you know, probably the the trip to the porta potty right before this, um, but yeah, I mean, you, you got to pee by this point. Exactly, right? exactly. You you come out for you know if you see what's on paper here, you come for the uh, amazing once again placement of going back into after midnight. You know, as a reprise, um, stay for the 
silky smooth segue out of drowned i mean just like perfectly executed and then the the crazy thing and i have had the same before like listening to this stuff so much i had the same reaction which is like i always think of it i'm like oh yeah there was a really long drowned jam and then you realize no actually the jam is out of after midnight um and the amazing thing to me is that the speed with which they break free from the uh, the song after midnight and get into some place completely different. I mean, I'm talking like by the, the time they stop actually singing after midnight, a minute later, they're playing something that is completely unrecognizable. Yeah. Um, it's, it's unbelievable, but it has that space. It has that grooviness. Uh, it's it's music to dance to, but it's music that you're going to dance to when it's way too late and you should probably be going to bed. Um, and they, <laughs> you know, I mean, then they and they, they just keep going into spacier and spacier segments. They add more space. Fishman starts dropping more beats, um, and it's it, it, it finishes off. It's just in an absolutely beautiful place. It feels so complete. Um, so this is, I mean, I, I would put this, it's about a 23 minute segment. I mean, I would put this on like the Mount Rushmore of fish playing. It's truly just, just beautiful.
that's I, I know now now we need to figure out what else is filling in the Mount Rushmore but that's gonna have to be for another that's gonna have to be for another podcast because we got to keep moving we got to move towards sunrise here um so that's that's amazing Matt and I, I just thought there's so much ground covered that I, I wasn't aware of like in terms of different kinds of jamming and man up tempo and slower and laid back and funky there's like some funk in here which you don't hear very much in the big cypress set at all it's, it's pretty pretty amazing okay so i don't even know what what time would it be here when we're when they're finishing the after midnight reprise this is like f- four hours in at so, least yes yeah, so there it's just about after 5 a.m uh okay. and there's a there's a little a couple of more songs um after uh the the after midnight reprise there's like a version of um free and lawn boy and then you have the fishman segment um with love you and then you get to this is about 6 a.m uh that they play roses are free insane so jonathan what's happening at that point i I couldn't even, there's no words. I couldn't tell you fish playing weird ass music in the middle of the night. Um, (laughs) This This seems about right. Yeah. It's crazy. (laughs) I mean, you, you, this is what you pair with the after midnight reprise to get big Cypress in a nutshell. I think Uh, almost Uh, it's just deeply weird. Um, They're just like reaching through their, their own personal fog to find some sort of music and they, they come back with just something amazing. Um, there's a, <laughs> on the audience tapes I listened to uh, when I was checking back in on this was uh, there's this guy who shouts out for brother during the kind of noise. J- Trey is playing some kind of guitar sound that I guess reminded him of brother about 27 minutes in <laughs> and uh, shout so out to great. the guy who shouts for that brother, you know, because that would have been a good call. That, that would have been fine. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Matt, you have uh, some more thoughts on this, I think. They're exhausted at this point, and you can right. hear it in the playing. Like, it, they're the same tenants remain in place. Like, they're willing to play the same thing over and over again and, and let it develop. But they're also, like, they're doing that for a while, and, like, nothing's happening. And, like, they try something for, like, a little bit, and it falls apart, and the other three members of the band kind of you know grab that person pull them back in the lifeboat and try to regroup and keep going um to the point where like the jam just like stops abruptly like i think they were just somebody must have given a look (laughs) to the other ones and was just like all right enough of this like let's let's do something else um i mean because they really just are like they're so out of steam but at the same time it's it's not bad it's interesting because how often do you get to hear musicians at this point of sort of like delirium, you know what I mean? Like just trying yeah. to play music. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I mentioned, I bring up the fog cause I feel like there probably is a fog dividing them from their consciousness, but they're also, they're, they're, they're pulling stuff out just out of their unconscious, which they're have to be more in tune with at this point in the show. Um, and it's, it is different. It is unique. And it, is it, you know the most successful playing they ever ever played. I don't know, but it's 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 special. The, well, the other cool thing about it is that if this kind of falling apart thing had happened in numerous jams, like let's say that starting at like three thirty, four o'clock in the morning, everything they played wound up like this, you'd have a way different kind of. Um, uh, you know, outcome from Big Cypress. It would be this sort of crazy psychedelic, like 
band struggles to make it through the night kind of thing but instead like this is literally like the only time it happens um everything else is so tight including this next segment that they go in which i always think of as sort of the landing portion and i think to a certain extent they have to have thought a little bit of this out in their minds um because you do bug 2001 2001 is when the sun really actually started to come up and they sort of played 2001 to the sunrise and then the ending which is starts out with waiting in the velvet scene there was a great description of this uh this whole kind of thing happening on after midnight but jonathan did you remember the sunrise the same way um you know i don't i I, i'm not gonna lie i don't remember the sunrise strictly i remember there was a beautiful sunrise but i I think my memory is as much uh supplied by the photographs i've seen after the fact it's just uh you know there's a there's a part where you stop in printing plus my day carried on so we uh after the show was over we packed up our our tent and got in our car and left and drove until we got to georgia where we slept for a very long time. Wow. Wow. So um it was uh but but going back to the the music here, the Velvet Sea, um, I think this is either the first or second most important performance of this song. Um it's it's hard to say which, but that fog that I mentioned during Roses, I mean that's the Velvet Sea. You know, the metaphor extends right through into this song. And Paige, you listen to him as he starts to sing it. I mean he sounds exhausted and emotionally raw and and Trey's solo is emotionally raw it's it it's so there it's so real um it's not perfect it's just honest <laughs> and tired and and the meat stick kind of is the same thing it's it's almost my favorite meat stick because it's it's loose it's um it just it feels so comfortable and lived in uh that in a way that you don't get with you know your standard versions of that song i mean i think so i've i've told a lot of stories about velvet sea on this podcast so i'll, I'll spare the that but it's so perfectly fish that they couldn't just end with like this beautiful song you know that just <laughs> sends people off into like can you do you remember when the concert ended and it was the end of Velvet Sea and then here comes the sun came on the PA and then we all just like walked away like no of course we have to go back into Meat Stick it's like just like so fucking perfect gotta leave him with a rocker man you don't wanna <laughs> <laughs> such such a rocker you gonna hand such out hankies at the door come on it's just like any any other band would. Can you imagine like being a band and being like, okay, here's your opportunity. You play the most beautiful song that talks about a velvet sea when a purple sunrise is coming up and then you can end the show and like literally you can just walk off the stage heroes, you know? And like, they're like, that's cool. But what about meat stick? (laughs) (laughs) So awesome. So I feel like that's just so perfect. It's, it's great. And that's why we had, I think for our last, uh, big kind of highlight moment, we sort of combine these really, it's the whole, I would call it the end of the show, which is this waiting in the velvet sea and meat stick. Um, it's really cool. The meat stick does actually have a little bit of like, uh, a little bit, you know, um, little bit of juice to it when Trey starts soloing and and whatnot the the amazing thing to me as I listened to this is the end of meat stick like they don't know how to stop 
they can't mm. they yeah. can't stop. And the way that I would describe it is, you know, if you've ever been up at a party all night with your friends and you reach this point, you know, and you and you everybody knows that you should go to bed, but you're sort of all standing around. Nobody wants to go to bed because you're having so much fun and you're just waiting for somebody to finally go, all right, I'm tired, I'm going to bed, and then everybody can go. So they they extend this outro to Meat Stick very long and it kind of slowly peters out, but there's a minute there where like I feel like they were like, uh, how do we actually end this song? Like, there's is there an ending that's appropriate here? Yeah. Um, and it, it's it's truly, truly amazing. And I think if they had walked away uh, and never played another note again, this would be a fine, a fitting end to to everything. I mean, it's that it's that good, that poignant. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. It's funny, you just described the uh, the moment at every post-fish show Airbnb right before I finally say, fuck it, guys, I'm going to bed. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> right. It's true. You are actually, you're always the person who does that. It's very true. I like um, to sleep. Yeah, night. you're and you're good at it too, which is it's it's a good it's a good talent to have. Okay, so so um thank you guys for doing the math. Thanks for putting this together and for all the amazing work. This this the the sunrise portion of the after midnight with the Velvet Sea is the most perfectly placed podcast uh, music that I've ever heard. So good job. 
I, I hope everyone has heard it if they haven't already. But I, that's I, a- I want to take this opportunity to reiterate to Matt how much I love the way that all came off. And he, Matt did a wonderful job on the whole show, but that, that finish was, it was terrific. Well, and I have to share the credit with Jesse Jarnow, who wrote the script. And of course, it makes sense for that to go there, but did specifically call on the script for uh, good call. Velvet Sea to go there. The <laughs> other thing I did want to mention, I mean, if obviously we've, uh, I think we take for granted, you know, people being fans and listening to this. If you're not that intimately uh, familiar with Big Cypress, if you haven't uh, like listened to that much of it, there's great audience recordings out there, uh, many great audience recordings. Um, there's also a lot of amazing video on YouTube. Um, and there's, yep. it comes in two different flavors. And if you really are interested in big Cypress, I'd, I'd urge you to check out both flavors. Um, the, at some point, uh, earlier, uh, you know, the, maybe a decade ago or so, um, did the, the official video from the, the big screens of the midnight set for about the first five hours of the set, uh, was posted to YouTube and has thankfully never been taken down. So it's really cool to get like kind of the up close view of, of what happens there. But there's also a, um, there's a video out there called project midnight sunrise, uh, that is all audience, uh, recordings, um, on video. Uh, and that was actually the first, even before these other tapes leaked, that was the first way that I saw a video of big Cypress. And it's really cool because it does include the entire midnight set up to the end. And so you actually can see the progression of like the sky getting lighter and turning purple during velvet sea and stuff. Um, and it, it, it's to the point where like actually a big chunk of it is just like a steady far shot from the taper section of like the entire stage and the lights and the sky behind it and stuff. So, um, I strongly urge you to check that out even just for the last hour or so of the set, just so you can see what that sunrise, uh, was like. It it really helped me as a visual aid and, and trying to put all this together and tell the story. Nice. Let's send it. Maybe we can put a link to that in the notes. We should. Cool. Um, and I would just say that the part of what made that, and that's the last thing I'll say about it. Part of what made that amazing sunrise portion of the podcast so good was the participation of people who were there. So it just, just occurred to me while you guys were talking about that, that it's, it was almost a year to the day when we had our first call about the possibility of doing this project, which is wild. And the first thing we did was like get tons of fans to submit their stories. And so many of them ended up in there and it wouldn't have been, it would have been not very good without those perspectives. So, um, I think, you know, it's kind of what made it different and special. So, so thanks everybody for participating. It's cool to throw it out there and for to have people send in such amazing stuff. Absolutely. And we're, we're, uh, connecting people. People keep contacting us and say, Hey, I heard that person on the podcast. Can you connect me? Or I saw the naked guy too. Like (laughs) we're going to start a support group for people who saw the (laughs) naked guy. So many people who saw the naked guy. All right. So we're going to leave it there. So if you guys like this podcast, give us a review on Apple podcasts, wherever you get the podcast and, uh, you know, subscribe if you're just tuning in. We've had a lot of new listeners recently, which is, which is cool. Um, but you know, come back. And um, I think that's it. What else are we supposed to say? Anything, guys? Um, just that one thing. Keep on rocking. That's the one.
Hey, music fans. We wanted to let you know about Music on the Mountain, a show that will feature Anders Osborne, Dogs in a Pile, and Saints and Liars. This show will be directly after the Divided Sky Foundation's fun run at 2 p.m. on Saturday, May 18th at the base of Akimo Mountain in Ludlow, Vermont. The show is presented by The Phoenix, a national nonprofit organization offering support to those in recovery and anyone impacted by substance use to celebrate recovery. If you're running in the Divided Sky Foundation's fund run, you'll be automatically registered for the show. It's a family-friendly event, and all proceeds from ticket sales and other donations benefit the Divided Sky Foundation. Visit Music on the Mountain, that's musiconthemtn.com, for more info and to get tickets. That's musiconthemtn.com. Hope you enjoy. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. 